0: Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray. Thank you so much for taking some time to join me today. I have the great privilege of talking to so many amazing physicians about their specialty, and today is no different. I have Dr. Melinda Rathkopf on, talking about her specialty of allergy and immunology. We're going to talk all about what drew Dr. Rathkoff into allergy, and immunology, what that specialty looks like, what she does, and so much more. We start the conversation by talking about what drew Dr. Rathkopf into allergy and immunology.
1: So I did my pediatric residency in the Air Force. And in the Air Force, they have a unique program called the Allergy Extender Program. Basically, the small bases where a lot of primary care Military physicians are stationed, are too small to support a full-time allergist, Mm -hmm. but yet have allergy patients that need to be taken care of. So what the military does, both the Army and the Air Force, is train primary care providers, um, kind of do a little extra training in allergy immunology, and then take care of basic allergy and asthma patients So I did that where as a general pediatrician at Moody Air Force Base after my residency, I did a couple weeks extra training in allergy immunology from the military so I could oversee the allergy patients stationed at that base. And I realized that I really enjoyed that. I did a half day a week of an allergy clinic and found myself referring my own patients into that clinic because I had a little more time to spend on their asthma, food allergies, allergic rhinitis issues. And I oversaw allergy shots at that base. So I became very interested in the field at that time and went back and applied uh, for fellowship. So I actually did a couple of years of general pediatrics before I went back and did a fellowship in allergy immunology.
0: So when you were going through this, being trained in pediatrics and then having this interest in allergy immunology, was there ever like a fight internally going, well, do do I, I always set out for pediatrics? This is my <laughs> my training. Like, why should I or did you were like, did you think, well, this is a subspecialty and I can still see the kids and treat them for this? So how did that dialogue go?
1: I think there were only really two kind of big issues to get over. The first was my first day of allergy fellowship, and I really think it was a hazing ritual, but we sat through a three hour lecture on CD markers. And it was literally a list from CD1. At that time, they were only up to 247. I still vividly remember that. And I walked out of that lecture going, Now, what is a CD marker? And why did I do this to myself? I was a competent pediatrician. I was liked by my patients. I enjoyed my job. Why did I do this again? So there was a little brief uh, questioning when I first went back into academic mode after being out in general practice. And then the other one probably came from when I learned that, oh, I do have to see adults again. So um, I always kind of like to start with a little intro of, you know, every allergist immunologist is either a pediatrician or an internist first. Mm -hmm. So you actually have to do internal medicine or pediatrics before you can subspecialize But we're a little unique and we're not a pure subspecialty of either. We're considered a conjoint board. So you have to be board certified in pediatrics or board certified in internal medicine to sit for the boards in allergy immunology. But the majority of us end up seeing both adults and kids once we come out of practice. So obviously, if you went somewhere like a major tertiary center pediatric hospital, you would only see kids and you might end up in a location where you would only see adults in your later career. But for training purposes, everybody is trained to see both adult and kids, regardless of what their primary specialty was.
0: How much did that scare you being being not not able to but necessary to to treat adults after having done a pediatric residency?
1: It it was a little off putting at first, and I, I realized I'm a little bit of an ageist. You know, I kind of immediately <laughs> look at the age and have a little bit of uh, fear, uh, maybe a few palpitations on my own. But I quickly realized, you know, in what I know, um, I'm still the expert, whether the person on the other side is an adult or a child. And I got very comfortable at saying, you know, I'm not I'm not here to handle your hypertension. I'm not here to handle your chronic pain and other issues. And, and patients grew to respect that. So I think, if, you know, once they realize what you're here to take care of and that you're not their primary care provider, um, it became easier. You know, I still find myself doing some primary pediatrics with my patients. You know, if they if I think they have an ear infection, instead of requiring them to go see their pediatrician later that day, I'll take care of it and do some basic, you know, diaper rash questions, things like that. Whereas I tend not not to do that with my adult patients.
0: No diaper rash in the adult patients.
1: No diaper (laughs) rash. I hope not. Then they really are in the wrong office. That's the issue.
0: I I can see you just look at the age and go, oh, I can't use the stuffed animal on my stethoscope. Darn it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do have one partner who's internal medicine trained. So I'll look at the chart and go, oh, they're over 80. And he goes, oh, they're under eight months. And we'll switch (laughs) charts often. So we support each other here.
0: That's good. Teamwork exactly. as as an allergist immunologist, what is the biggest myth or biggest myths or misconceptions about the field that you're kind of defeating either from patients or from medical students and residents?
1: Probably the biggest is from a patient perspective is um, food allergies. You know, Mm -hmm. everyone thinks they have a food allergy. And if you ask the general public, it can be up to 20, 25% self reported, when in actuality, it's probably 8 to 10% of kids and only 2 to 3% of adults who have true food allergies. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time on definitions of what is a true food allergy versus an intolerance or sensitivity, Um, unconventional testing in food allergies, especially depending on. You know, what region of the uh, country people Mm -hmm. are from and what some health beliefs are in that area. So that's probably the the biggest thing I discuss with patients. Probably with um, students, residents, because I do, I'm on faculty at uh, University of Washington School of Medicine, and Mm -hmm. we do medical students, we have residents, we have a family practice residency here at my facility, and then we have pediatric residents. Um, I think the biggest thing is it's not all runny noses. I think there's a perception that we just take, take care of rhinitis and do a lot of runny noses. And there are days I wish a runny nose would come in and it was that easy. So I think uh, there's there's a perception that it's not as rigorous um, or as challenging. Although I kind of joke, you know, we'd always say, if you don't know what it is, send it to the allergist or the <laughs> rheumatologist. So uh, I feel like a detective most days and that's probably what I like most about what I do.
0: Yeah, that was going to be my next question is is for those students out there or or residents out there who like that detective work. Do you feel like the majority of patients that are coming to you are coming needing that detective work or they're coming with some some basic symptoms? You're like, oh, I I know exactly what this is or they're coming pre-diagnosed.
1: So we definitely have what you know your bread and butter allergic rhinitis uh, we were about to be in our tree pollen season here in a couple of weeks although it snowed again last night but what you know we definitely have tree pollen here We have some of the highest birch pollen in the world recorded in Alaska. So we have rhinitis every year we have your you know your food allergies and uh, people asked when I moved to Alaska what allergies we had and I kind of joked well everyone owns cats and eats peanut butter right so We definitely have those, but we also do a lot of immune deficiencies. We do mast cell disease. We do um, hereditary angioedema. A lot of, you know, there's some overlap. Where it gets confusing, and we'll probably talk about more of this, is, you know, overlap with other specialties. But, you know, everyone has an immune system. I always tell them, and uh, if they don't, they really need to see us. But everyone has an immune system and therefore has some response to themselves or their environment, um, so I find being the diagnostician is what I really enjoy. Um, it's nice to have it sprinkled with a pretty straightforward. You sneeze when you pick up your cat. I can skin test you and you're allergic to cat and, you know, I can treat that. But there's also a lot of detective work with some of the more unusual clinical situations.
0: What does a typical day look like for you?
1: So my typical day, so I am, you know, 90 Eight ninety nine percent outpatient. We do have privileges. I have privileges at four different hospitals, and we'll get an occasional inpatient consult. Uh, my I have five physicians in my group, two PAs and a nurse practitioner. The physicians, uh, four of us alternate calls, so we're on call a week at a time, 24-7 for any inpatient calls, consults, um, or walk-in kind of situations. But my average day is about six new patients and about eight follow up patients a day. So I do have the luxury of having a little more time with my patients. Since a lot of our patients travel including, you know, flying in, um, taking their ATV or their dog sled to get to the airport to then fly in, we try to do as much as we can when the patients here. So a new patient appointment could take up to 3 hours cuz we'll go in and do an initial evaluation, we'll go ahead and do the testing, and then we circle back around and do the follow up and wrap up based on that testing.
0: Do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of the hospital?
1: I do. I really like what I do. You know, when I was looking at the possibility of doing a specialty, um, my oldest, I have a 20-year-old and an 18-year-old. So my oldest was born at the end of my second year of residency. So everyone was starting to look at fellowship options, you know, end of second year, beginning of third. And I was just trying to learn how to, you know, raise a baby uh, manage a, a marriage while being a pediatric resident, so it was the last thing I was thinking. Piece so of cake. I just wasn't <laughs> in a position to consider going into fellowship at that time mm. and trying to uh, to balance all of that. And so it was nice to kind of take some time and, and do some general practice before turning around and, and, and looking into fellowship. But but and so I looked at. I really enjoyed being in the NICU, so I really looked at the idea of being a neonatologist. But with a young child and a desire to have uh, at least one more child, it just didn't, at that time, seem like that was the best option for my family or for my military obligation at that time. Yeah.
0: What does the training path look like to become an allergy immunologist?
1: Yeah. So every, as I mentioned before, just is either an internist or a pediatrician. So you could do internal medicine, pediatrics, or med-peds. When I came out of medical school, there were very few med-ped uh, rotations at that time. So if you actually, if you know you're interested in allergy immunology, obviously you need to choose one of those three uh, core residencies first. So you couldn't do family practice and then do allergy immunology. You couldn't do OBGYN and then do allergy immunology. So you want to start out on that path of your basic specialty, your residency, and then um after that, it's two years of subspecialty fellowship. Uh, some places have a third year. If you do research, you could do a third year, but it's at least two years, and you train seeing both adults and kids. And every program's a little different. I did my fellowship in the military, um, so every program is slightly different, but we do have through the American Board of Allergy Immunology, our core competencies and our areas of expertise that we train in. Most training programs involve some research and publications along with clinical
0: care. Is a lot of the fellowship outpatient or inpatient?
1: A lot of it is um, outpatient because the majority of the specialty, as in a lot of others, is, is outpatient, is, is clinical work. Yeah. Um, so most of it is. I mean, I definitely had inpatient consults um, I just went to the NICU three weeks ago as my last NICU consult here at my hospital for a primary immune deficient patient. Mm. So we do have some inpatient care, but the vast majority is clinic and outpatient care.
0: How does that show up in a, in a preemie or not a preemie, but a, a newborn
1: So we actually now, I believe all 50 states, if not, it's 48 or 49 of the 50 states, have uh, newborn screening now for primary immune deficiency. So they actually measure uh, what's called a TREC or a T-cell receptor excision circle. And it's basically a T-cell lymphocyte count that can be done on a blood spot. And so if those come back, we're on call for the state, the, the four of us cover the whole state for any abnormal newborn screen. For immune deficiency. So this was a, a newborn who had an abnormal newborn screen came come back. And when his primary care provider was notified, it turned out this child was already in the NICU for a congenital heart defect, wow. and he turned out to have DeGeorge syndrome. Um, but we get we get a couple of those a year. Based on our population of our state, we would expect to have a skid patient or severe combined immune deficiency patient once every year or two. Um, So we get a few other, like the the newborn screen will often pick up DeGeorge. It'll pick up a CD4, lymphopenia, and some other T-cell defects. So we get called for those and have to, we kind of have a whole algorithm of how to respond to those abnormal newborn screens until confirmation can come back. They're considered a medical emergency.
0: Yeah. For someone who likes to really subspecialize and get down into a specific niche, are there opportunities after you're done with your allergy immunology fellowship to either even further subspecialize?
1: There aren't formal ones anymore that I'm aware of. When I went through fellowship about 18 years ago is when I finished. When I finished, there was still an optional third year called clinical and laboratory immunology. So it was a little bit more um, if you wanted to to specialize in immunology within allergy immunology, I don't believe they offer that anymore. So it really depends on where you train. Definitely, you know, if you were at the NIH, you were at Johns Hopkins, you were at some of the other um, more academic centers, you could do that additional year in research. Based on a research project you're interested in or matched with a faculty doing research. And then you can make your practice what you wanted. You know, in an ideal world, I'd prefer to see mostly kids, but I would need to be in a setting that could, you know, like I, one job I looked at was Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, which would have been an amazing opportunity to just see pediatric patients.
0: Yeah
1: we had one provider here in our group when I first started and he only saw adults. So as long as you're matched up with someone that balances that, but the community needs are obviously for adult and pediatric. So depending on what type of practice setting, you know, you could go into working in research. You could go into working with pharmaceutical companies. You could go into a pure academic center. You could go, you know, there's a lot of different options. I could have stayed career military. And done it that way.
0: For the the student or resident who likes to do a lot with their hands, are there a lot of procedures or potential for procedures in allergy immunology?
1: There are. They, you know, we do a lot of procedures, um, which is why telemedicine. Adopting telemedicine right now is a, a little challenging, but we do we do a lot of skin testing, which is looking for type one. Hypersensitivity reaction, that's your classic, you know, anaphylaxis to peanut or your cat allergy or your pollen allergy. So, we do a lot of skin tests for environmental and food allergies, drug allergies. We do patch testing. So, patch testing is for type four hypersensitivity reactions like contact dermatitis. We do that type. We do a lot of challenges. So, an oral challenge might be to a food to determine, improve if you're allergic to that food. We do drug challenges. Um, so it, those are a lot of, uh, our day-to-day procedures that we do. We might do a vaccine challenge. If you had a reaction to a vaccine, we might do a challenge to that. So we do a lot of challenges and we do a lot of skin testing.
0: For the primary care physician out there, the future primary care doc, what do you wish they knew about allergy immunology to, to help your patients and help you?
1: I think realizing that how common they are, and like I said before, everyone has an immune system and therefore the potential for an allergic response, and up to 20% of the population has some form of allergy so I think realizing how we can help, and a lot of patients, a single referral one time to determine what someone's allergic to can be very helpful. We don't need to see all these patients back, although obviously moderate to severe asthmatics we follow regularly, food allergic patients we follow at least annually. So I think realizing how an allergist immunologist can help them care for their patients, it's not as simple as just put everyone on you know, an oral antihistamine and that's all they need. And like I said before, we have a lot of overlap. So, you know, a lot of overlap with ENT, a lot of overlap with gastroenterologists, a lot of overlap with dermatology and pulmonologists. So I always make sure I have my collection of my favorite specialists that I in turn refer to. Um, So finding out kind of in your community. In our community, most of our pediatric asthma is taken care of by us. Um, Not by our pulmonologists. So it kind of depends on where you are. A lot of our patch testing contact dermatitis we take care of, not our dermatologists. And even our rhinitis we take care of more so than our ENT providers just by the nature of referrals and in our community. But that could differ in different communities.
0: So that's interesting and and, and covered a few of the the next couple of questions. So a a lot of interaction with a lot of other specialties. Do you find uh, in, in some communities, maybe you hear from your colleagues, where there's some turf wars over these things?
1: I do find that. And I think that depends on how the community, you know, what is considered the standard of care in your community. Um, I had the benefit of joining an already existing practice that had been um, in business already since I came here in 2006 and the practice opened in, in 99. And so it was already well established, well respected. And at that time, like I said, with the pediatric asthmatics, we only had one pediatric pulmonologist. So it was easier to get in to see us. And since in children, most asthma is allergic, it made sense. And he did a lot of the more cystic fibrosis inpatient stuff um, and non-allergic asthma type referrals. So I think it depends on how you set that up. I definitely hear about a lot of um, turf wars, especially probably between E and T that are offering allergy shots and allergic rhinitis care versus allergists that are offering allergy shots and allergic rhinitis care. Um Less so, I find a little less so with dermatology. I think they're happy to send us their hive patients, <laughs> their chronic urticaria, <laughs> and uh, you know, a lot of derm is filled up doing um, cancer and cosmetics. Keeps them very busy. So our dermatologists send us a lot of referrals. So I think it's about building those relationships and building that trust, you know, and having. So I send, and I'm quick to refer to my ENT colleagues if I need a scope. Or they're not allergic and I want them to say what else they might be going on Mm -hmm. or quick to refer to my pulmonologist if it's not responding the way I think it should. And I'm doing kind of my secondary survey of what else could be going on. I'll often get their input. So I think seeing that mutual respect really goes a long way.
0: For the variety junkie, are there any opportunities outside of clinical medicine for an allergy immunologist?
1: Definitely there are. I have friends that have gone into pharma that are working in either research um, with pharmaceutical companies. There's um, just recently been FDA approved an oral immunotherapy product. So uh, one of my colleagues who practiced in Seattle has now joined that company and is doing pharmaceutical work. There's research. I've seen people from clinical practice, outpatient, private practice, going back into academic medicine, um, having people that, you know, stay in the military and choose to practice in that way, which brings different challenges. So, there, there is variety, and you can build your practice. You know, I've definitely seen allergists that only want to do rhinitis, and, and that's how they build up their base. That's what they're interested in. I've seen those that uh, want to specialize more in immunology and they want to be the referral in their area for that. So often you could go into a community where there might be other allergist immunologists and you can say, hey, I really like immunology. If you want me to take these more difficult patients that, you know, have less procedures involved, but take more time, I'm willing and interested to do that. And I'll send you my rhinitis patients, things like that. So kind of you can tailor it somewhat. But again, it'll depend on the size of your community and the demand in the community of how profitable that might be and how sustainable that might be.
0: What do you know now that that you wish you knew before going into allergy immunology?
1: What do I know now? I think mostly what I've learned is um, more the art of medicine and about listening to your patients and, you know, meeting the patient's need. I mean, so I do some things that I thought when I came right out of academic medicine and right out of training, you know, well, you don't test for that. That's clearly not a food allergy or that's not indicated, but there's meeting the needs of the patient too. And, And so for one example would be with chronic urticaria. Chronic urticaria is almost never due to a food or environmental allergy. And if I can convince the patient of that with just my words and talking to them, then we don't do allergy testing for those patients. But if I have someone come in who really believes it's due to a handful of foods and they're avoiding those foods, I might test them to show them that it's not. So sometimes doing what academically scientifically maybe the right thing to do, needs to be balanced in meeting the needs of the patient and what's the right thing to do for the patients.
0: What do you like the most about being an allergist immunologist?
1: Patient care. I really enjoy, you know, interacting with patients and I really enjoy having time with my patients. I love general pediatrics. I miss my well babies. I miss that interaction, but I love having more time and not feeling quite as rushed as I did in acute and in primary care. Um, I like being able to be an expert in something. You know, it, there's some pride with knowing that in your community, you're the one they're going to call when they have a patient with, you know, condition X or something. And probably the area that I've become interested in lately that I probably consider the referral person for for our area and maybe even our state is in mast cell disease. So taking an interest in a particular disease, especially if it's one that other people have no interest in um, and can kind of be a headache to deal with, but really learning the art of medicine with these patients because they're a unique type of patient and there's a lot of hype out there about the disease. And, you know, there's some facts, there's a lot of uh, fiction and really kind of tailoring that um, I've enjoyed.
0: What do you like the least? What do I like the least? The
1: bureaucracy, the paperwork, (laughs) the limitations, you know, it's amazing how much time my nurses have to spend getting prior authorization. And you would think something like an injectable epinephrine device Mm. that basically could save your life if you accidentally were exposed to something you were (laughs) allergic to, if you were stung or ate the peanut, you would think there's very little debate on getting that covered by insurance. Yeah. Um you know, arguing every six months with the insurance company that yes, they're doing better because they're on immune globulin replacement, but if you stop it, they are not going to do well. So doing better is not an indication to stop. So I think a lot of the, you know, the documentation requirements, um, the insurance, and uh, a lot of the pharmaceutical barriers to, you know, the cost of some of the medications that I use is just astounding, but it's the medicines are life-changing and how do you balance that?
0: Do you see any major changes coming to the field of allergy immunology that someone who's going through training now should maybe be aware of to, to maybe change their mind to stay away from it or or, or make their minds uh, even more secure that that's what they want to do?
1: I think even more secure. I think the biggest area we've seen in the last you know few years is biologics in our field. You know our first biologic in the field of allergy and asthma was while I was still a fellow. And that was omalizumab, which is an anti-IgE, which was approved for moderate to severe persistent asthma, and now also for chronic urticaria. But just in the last few years, we've had three anti-IL-5 or two of our two are anti-IL-5, one's a receptor blocker, and now we have anti-IL-13. So the immunology aspect, which I really love, is really important. And I think the whole field within diseases of really endotyping and getting down to personalized medicine. You know, we used to treat, we still treat every mild mild to moderate asthmatic kind of the same, but we used to treat every moderate to severe asthmatic the same. Now we don't. Now we really look at phenotyping them and coming up with really specialized care. And I think that's very unique. And those are limited to um, allergists and pulmonologists, a lot of those medications are. So I think that makes us Um, a little more secure that immunology is needed, you know, kind of joke again, going back to the overlap with other specialties that allergy doesn't have an organ. You know, it's, it's, you know, send them to the cardiologist if it's a heart defect or send them to the pulmonologist if it's a lung defect, but allergist immunologists don't have a single organ. The entire body has an immune system. So the potential in our field and with immunology, as we get more scientific rigor in it is just astounding and the potentials there.
0: Do you think someone who wants to be an allergist immunologist, someone who's like that's just my my jam, that's what I like, maybe they have personal experience with allergies? Um, do you think there is a benefit going one route or another, whether they go pediatrics or internal medicine?
1: I don't. I mean, I I think it would depend on your interest. So, if your interest was immunology, primary immune deficiency, you know, obviously pediatrics, you're going to see more adults, you'll see more secondary immune deficiency. Although we get a lot of common variable disease that doesn't present till adulthood. But if you were really interested in immunology or food allergy, probably younger age, um, if that was your field. But I would say go in the field that you're passionate about because you're going to enjoy what you do more and you're going to do better at it if you find what you're passionate about. You know, the same advice that I give to pre-medical students on what to major in to get into medical school is is major in what you're passionate about, what you enjoy, because you'll do better in it.
0: But but biochemistry, that's what I have to do, right? (laughs) (laughs) If you're
1: passionate about it, go for it. I think some people are.
0: (laughs) If you had to do it all over again, would you still be an allergist immunologist?
1: So um, I would do it again. I really enjoy my job. I think the one thing I did that was invaluable and I would Um, recommend to most um, going into the subspecialty is those two years I did as a general pediatrician, I think were invaluable. I think they not only cemented my decision to go into a subspecialty, but they also gave me a respect for the primary care provider that I think you need as a specialist. I think it can be really helpful. It, uh, It gave me the art of how to do it, the challenges of how to do it, and also knowing what role the specialist, the subspecialist can fill for the primary care provider. I I tell all my students that rotate with me, you know, the first thing I do when I see a new patient is I look at the referral because the referral is that primary care provider asking for my help with something. And the referral can range from anywhere from, I don't think they need to see you, but the family wants to, to, you know, I don't know what's going on help, although usually it's somewhere in between. But I consider myself to have two people that I'm answering to. I'm answering to that referring provider in addition to answering to the patient. So I make sure I answer both of those questions. So I think I I definitely would do it again. I enjoy what I do, Um, but I would also do the general pediatrics again. So I I think doing a couple of years as a general provider in my original specialty was very helpful.
0: Any last words of wisdom for the student or resident listening to this thinking that that Allergy, immunology is the path they want to go on?
1: I would strongly recommend they find an allergist immunologist and rotate with them. You know, it can be challenging in certain communities to find an allergist immunologist in the academic setting. Not every medical school has an allergist immunologist Um, Even I was interviewed by an allergist, actually, for medical school, and then I don't think I saw one again the entire time I was in medical school. So I think, you know, explore and find someone. And if you think you want to go into academic allergy immunology, then find a rotation with an academic allergist immunologist. If you want to do outpatient, there's a lot of us that allow students, and residents to rotate in our clinical outpatient office. You want to immerse yourself in that area to see if it's what you like. And it's never too late to change your mind. You can always start down one path. You know, it's the rest of your career, so don't be afraid to try it. See how it goes. And I think that's the military person in me that says that because, you know, never afraid to move, right? You can always move again and try something different. So, you know, really pursue, but but you want to expose yourself to that field and try to find different types of allergists, immunologists careers and, and see what it's like. Talk to them.
0: All right. There you have it. Again, Dr. Rathkoff, the director of the Allergy, Asthma and Immunology Center of Alaska, talking about her specialty of allergy and immunology. Hopefully you got a lot of great information out of the episode today. You got some exposure to allergy in immunology and maybe opened you up to a potential new specialty. Check out the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology at a a a That's four A's. The American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. Four A's. I. Dot. Org. a aai.org go check them out see if there is an annual meeting that you can get to whether it's virtual in these times of covid or it's in person once we were out of this pandemic if you're interested potentially in allergy and immunology again aa a-A-I dot org. Go check them out. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories where we talk to a neurotologist, which was a new word that I heard when I first talked to our physician next week. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is Med-Ed Media.